After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. Jesus said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. If anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest upon that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. The Gospel of our Lord. Eat it. First of all, it's great to be back. It's great to see you. And I know I've seen a couple of you, a few of you, um, and I just want to let you know that I had such a wonderful um, time away and um, nothing extravagant to report, uh, but just good time for my heart and hang out with my family and do some reading and think about things around here and feeling very um, good and excited about this community and about my new role. And... Um, I talked to Pastor Hans, and he said you had a great five weeks together, and the staff is doing good things, and I jump right back into that as we prepare for fall and all that's ahead. But um, it's sure good to be back. And then I get back, and the text is Luke 10. It's one that we know really, really well around here because we've been dwelling in it. Um, but it's also one that I approach going, I kind of know this text. Uh, God, what are you going to say to us this, this week? So I want to start here. Um, on a Facebook post, someone uh, posted this that I had a chance to look at. And it was a Facebook post from Julie Lithcott Haynes. She's the former dean at Stanford. And she's now an author. And she made this list of eight things that she feels that every 18-year-old needs to know in order to be successful in life. And then she goes on after each point to talk about the things that parents do to keep these things from kids. They're trying to do things for kids, and uh, what we're doing is actually coddling them and not allowing them to experience the things in the world. So um, Connor is helping me out. I just have a, a list of those things. I won't dwell on them. Um, but the first thing is you need to be able to talk to strangers. And she writes about, we talk about stranger danger, and so kids are paranoid about that. But in order to maneuver in life, you have to be able to greet and receive and be a part of a community. And so we need to be able to talk to strangers. Number two, 
find his or her way around. Oftentimes, we're a part of the itinerary, or we send the plans, we buy the plane ticket. Kids need to know how to live life and how to navigate for themselves. Number three, manage assignments, workloads, and deadlines. Um, I think we've all heard stories about how professors get calls from parents, and if assignment's late, saying, my child needed more time, they need to own that responsibility on their own. Number four, contribute to the running of a household. Be a part of what it takes to make life work. And that means being responsible for things, knowing the flow of how things go. Number four, or number five, excuse me, handle interpersonal problems with friends, conflicts that they have. They have to be able to do it. Their parents or other adults can't step in and take that solely for them. They need to navigate both the ups and the downs in life. Number six, there it is, cope with the ups and downs, probably a similar one. How do you manage life when it's not really great? How do you manage life um, when it's not going so well, when it's going well? How do you handle that in between? Number seven, earn and manage money. What does it take to be responsible, to have a job, to be responsible for your own money, to know how much things cost? to be able to learn how to save, to be able to learn how to give. Number eight, must be able to take risks. Not always live life safe. What does it mean to take a risk and do something, to try something, to be about something? What does it take to fail in life? How do we fail and learn from that and to have that be a part of our experience. So I thought it was a really interesting list. I read that not only as a parent, I hope at 47 I'm able to do those things. But I, I thought about this in, in terms of Luke 10. What if Jesus had access to social media and could write a list like this? And so I'm entitling this list, Connor, you can go to the next slide. What Jesus says we need to know about abundant life. Now, I'm intentionally not saying successful life. The dean at Stanford will say, this is what you need to be successful. I think Jesus would talk about what does it mean to be faithful in life? What does it mean to be a leader because you first followed Jesus? What does it mean to have abundance of what God has created and what he wants us to be about. So this is fun, and there's probably more than eight, but I kept it to eight to keep it parallel to the other lists that we saw today. Number one, I think we hear from this text, is there is a harvest, and it's plentiful. Oftentimes, I think all the time, we live in a scarcity model. What happens if I don't have something tomorrow? Um, I hope we can be about abundance here at Mount Olivet because we give of ourselves because we trust that God will provide. But in this text, Jesus sends out 70. They are not doing anything yet. He said the harvest is already out there and it's plentiful. That means someone in the world is about God's work. Number one, it's God. And when we think of harvest, what do we think? We think of bringing in crops, we think of nourishment, we think of feeding, we think of plenty, but it also means that the seeds are already planted. And so what Jesus is saying is this is 
big time harvest out there. I'm sending you out to reap the goodness of what that is. Number two, trust in God's provision. And I'm going to say on this one, it's not dependence on ourselves, it's dependence on God. There is nothing that we can buy or bring on this journey. And Jesus says that, bring no bag, no sandals. You don't need extra stuff, you need yourself. And I think that's for a couple reasons. Number one, you know how it is when you're packing the car and your mind is full of what is that thing that I think I'm forgetting that I need to bring and what happens if I get there and I don't have enough. We're so preoccupied with the preparedness and thinking that the blessing in life is the stuff around us, this text turns us on our heads and said, you need nothing. Trust in what I will provide. And that's what I want for you. And that's, but it's difficult. So difficult, especially in this world. But it leads us to number three, which is learn how to receive from others. We know how to give. We love that. We love hosting people, making our favorite things, getting things set up as we like it. We invite people in and we think, oh, they'll like it too. But in this text, what is so different is Jesus says, you enter a house, you don't know that person, you say peace. If you can tell there's that peace received, then eat what is set before you. Now, I venture to guess whatever we eat, and that could be literally eat, or that could just be receive, is going to be different, and we're not going to necessarily like it. But what we hear in this story is that's where God promises to be when we receive from others. But that means it's going to be different than we expect, and that means we need to get out of our comfort zone and maybe meet some people who are different than we are. And it's good and it's enough in whatever it does. And so what if each and every day we got up doing our normal activities and we said, where is it that I will encounter someone today and all I have to offer them is peace? I don't need to give them anything. I just offer peace. If I can tell that there is an exchange in conversation or something else, then what God says to me is I have, I have a harvest for you to reap in that encounter, receiving from others. Number four, it's not perfect or easy. There's no one way that abundant life is found. Jesus says, I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Gosh, I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound fun, does it? But I think what he's saying is we can get lured away from the things of this world and be attacked by those things. This is not about easy or perfect. And it's certainly not what the world is telling us. The world says be about those things that are good for you. Make your life as good and as comfortable as it can. Don't worry about other people. Be on your way and be good at that, and that's where you'll find blessing. That is not what Jesus is saying. Number five, learn how to move on. 
This is not a one-size-fits-all, and it's not going to work all the time. We've all been in situations where we tried to open up with peace, and it wasn't received. At the end of the story, Jesus says, if you're not welcomed, go off and shake the dust off your feet and move on. Now, the reason dust is talked about is if someone welcomes you and is hospitable to you, they'll let you wash your feet so your feet wouldn't be dusty. So if you're welcomed, you won't have dust on your feet to shake off. If you're not welcomed, what if all that dust just kept accumulating and were weighed down? If our peace is not received, then we just need to move on and look ahead to that next place that we're called to be. Number seven, we're never alone. Jesus sends these disciples out in pairs. They're together. And there's 69 others that are part of this. I wonder why you're at church today. Why are you part of Mount Olivet? I have a sense it's because we do this together. And when we do it together, if we have a story to share, we have a community who listens, who gets this sending and what this is about. But we also, when we have those times that we feel overcome, we don't receive peace, we can come and be filled again with worship and each other. We're never alone. And you know what? Jesus is the one sending us out. He promises to be with us in this work. And number eight, God is near. The kingdom of God is near. In the story, it says, the kingdom of God has come near when peace is received, but the kingdom of God has also come near if peace has not been received. There's the promise. It almost gets back to the incarnation God with us. The kingdom of God is near. And I have to tell you, that's urgent. That's cool. It's that close. So there's Jesus' list vis-a-vis -vis Luke 10 today. But what I still wonder is, do we believe this? I think in our mind, we hear this text and we think of a mission trip. We think if we go to a different country and we know we're solely going there for the purpose of sharing peace and building relationships, this text is relevant. But you know what? I think this text is about our everyday life. It's not just when Jesus was alive. The power is still given, the call is still made, and it's still relevant. But then it's tough to be able to name that. So this week, I was, uh, we were in staff meeting, we were dwelling in this text, and I happened to be paired up with Joe, and we were talking about what we really heard. And Joe told me a story, and it was a gift to me because it helped me understand Luke 10 in a little bit different way. And so I've invited Joe to come up with me today and share his story. And then we're gonna talk a little bit about his story after he finished. So Joe, thanks so much for being here. I've got a, a microphone for you right here. And I got a stool, I'll come join you up there. So Pastor Beth invited me here to share a story that I like to call my suit story that kind of came out after dwelling on it a couple of times, on this passage a couple of times. Um, earlier in June, I was heading down to a wedding in Louisville, and it was one of my buddy's weddings. It's the first one I've been to where I wasn't a part of the wedding party, and that meant I needed to go buy a suit. And if you've seen the way I dress the past four years here, it shouldn't be no surprise, this is gonna be my first suit I've ever owned. 
So it was a big deal for me, actually. So I spent a long time, it's embarrassing how much time I spent trying to figure out what kind of suit I wanted and where to buy it from. But I landed on Macy's, so I headed there on Memorial Day weekend. And I walked in, I knew exactly where I wanted to go. I head to the suit section, I head to the bar three rack, I'm looking for a slim fit suit, it's light gray. And as I'm looking around, I hear someone approaching me, and I look up, and it's a sales associate, um, probably about my height, uh, mid-50s, blonde hair, and she introduces herself, and I forget her name. But she says, hey, how are you doing? What are you, do what are you looking for? And I told her about the wedding. And she said, is it here? I said, no, it's in Louisville. And we kind of laughed about how hot it's gonna be, because I'm already sweating. It's like seven degrees out in Minnesota, and I'm already struggling. Um, and then she asked, you know, what do you do? And I said, I work at a church. I do marketing and a little bit of graphic design. And I said, it's probably gonna be hard for you to believe, but I'm actually colorblind, and so I do need your help. <laughs> um, and she laughed, and she said, okay, start right here. Try this one and this one. I get the suits, I head out to the fitting rooms. She sends me over there. I try it on, the very first suit. It's midnight blue, looks great. I'm like, I got it. Um, so I head out to the rest of Macy's to look for a shirt, a tie, and a belt, and I must have been wandering around that section for an hour and a half. Like, it takes forever for me to make decisions. Um, and I'm heading back to the fitting rooms. I want to try all this stuff on together. And I hear a knock on the door, and the voice says, how are you doing in there? I'm like, oh, I'm just trying on a suit. And she goes, are you the gentleman I was helping earlier? I said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I wandered away, I forgot about you. And she says, yeah, I thought you left. Um, well, come on out, let me see what you have. And I said, I gotta go out to see the tailor anyway. So I come out, and I'm standing in the mirror, and the tailor is like chalking up my pants, and I see her standing to the side, smiling, but I've worked at retail for like eight years, and I knew she was waiting for me to finish up. Um, so I run, I get changed, and I meet her at the cash register, and she takes my stuff. And we small talk a little bit more about how last minute my shopping is, a wedding in a week, and as we're talking, she, I hear this iPhone ringtone, and it's not my phone, it's her phone, and she takes it out of her pocket, and she answers. And if we hadn't had such great interactions up until then, I probably would have been put off by it. And I hear her say, I'm almost done here, I'll meet you out in the upper parking lot, and hangs up. And I say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I've probably been keeping you. I've been taking forever. And she says, actually, that was my son. He's here to pick me up and take me to the hospital. My husband's there. And I was like, oh my gosh, is he okay? And she starts folding the clothes a little again. She looks down and she says, actually, the rest of my family is waiting for me in the hospital room right now. And I let that sink in for two seconds because I'm just like, oh my gosh, what? I didn't say anything, and she continues folding. I wasn't gonna push her to say anything, but she starts nodding her head, and she goes, we've known him for a while. He's been in the hospital for a few weeks now. And I'm like, oh my God, what are you doing here today? Like, how have you been helping me, being patient? You've been joking about the weather with me. And she says, you know, working helps keep my mind off things. It keeps me busy, I like to work. It's like the opposite of retail therapy. She smiles and says, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I say, you know what, I'm, I'll be thinking of you. And it was her turn to be shocked a little bit. She looks at me and she says, well, thank you. And we're at the end of the transaction now, and I have no idea how to end this. Like this conversation, how do I walk away from this? And I didn't really have to worry about it because as we finish up, she hands me the bag. She looks me in the eye and says, I'll see you on the rebound. I just, 
stopped. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, thank you. This is the only way that this conversation could have ended. Um, so I just take the bag, and I nodded, and I turned around and walked out. So as you listen to Luke 10 today, where was the connection for you in your experience buying a suit at Macy's with this person that you didn't know, and how the text spoke to you? Um, well, first, personally, it was like a reminder that I've been learning as I get closer to 30 is never make assumptions about people, because I'm always wrong. Um, but in sharing peace with each other, I don't even know if I shared peace with her or if she shared it with me in that interaction. I still have no clue. Um, but it reminded me, you know, I always interpret that text as Jesus saying he sent them off to go where he intended to go, as in he couldn't make it there, but he's sending them to go instead. And that somebody is like us. And we have no idea when it is that we're bringing peace to people. No clue. So when was it that you like thought more about that story and said, I think that was God, or where, where did you sense this kingdom near or God's presence in that interaction? Um, it was when I was walking out, probably. I hadn't made it out the entrance yet, and I'm thinking there, I'm like, I could have said, I'm praying for you, but I didn't. I said, I'm thinking of you. And I was kind of like internally saying, should I have said that? Why didn't you say that? You should have been more like open about your faith. But it didn't really come to me until we started dwelling in staff a week, like three days later, and like that story impacted them. And then you came back a few more weeks later, and it's just resonated more and more. Um, and I was actually headed to Nordstrom's afterwards, but I stayed in Macy's, and then I could have missed that entire interaction. What I love about Joe's story is that it's real, that he couldn't make it up, but he noticed something, and he didn't even know this woman. I hope you run into her again. Uh, but how was God at work in this harvest that's plentiful, bringing two people together that took the time to share peace? But what was really helpful for me in hearing this story is that that happened to Joe in an everyday occurrence. And I think that's what Jesus is telling us in this story. And when Joe shared that story with me, I heard this text, I heard God's living word in a different way, like, wow, there it is, that's the harvest. And it makes me wonder the stories that each of us have on a daily basis, how we need to name and share that with each other to hear again where the kingdom is. And so that means if we're ever wondering where God is, God is everywhere and is near everywhere and is inviting us, sending us out, not to just verbally teach us, so we can experience this together. I think that's what community is all about. We gather to hear the word, to hear stories like this, and then we go where God promises to be. Today, he promises always Jesus will be in with and under the bread and the wine. He's in this living word that speaks to us. He promises to be in the world. That is the promise that comes to us. That is the call that gets sent to us. So, Joe, thank you so much. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, um, to be here today to hear again uh, real stories. Maybe the world would downplay this as just an everyday interaction, but for us to hear in the word that this is you coming close and you're calling us to be a part of that. Uh, we pray for this woman that Joe met, for her family, 
for her husband who sounds like he's in that thin space from this life to the next, for them to receive the harvest that you promised and the gift of Joe to be able to notice, to see, and to speak that word. And for all these things and for your presence among us, we give you thanks and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.